Good morning and welcome to The Well here at STSA Church Online. We are in part three of a series called What Does Love Require? And today's topic needs no introduction whatsoever. Once I tell you the title of today's message, that's enough to capture everyone's attention because today we are going to talk about a subject that you're not supposed to talk about in church and especially these days is quite the hot topic. The title of today's message is Talking Politics. Yes, that's where we're going today. Now, those who know me know that uh, politics isn't something that I speak about much. And the reason, if I'm honest, is because I'm really not that interested in it. I'm more of a sports guy than I am a politics guy. So then, why are we talking about politics here today? Well, given where we are at as a nation, it's not that all of a sudden I care about politics, but what I do care is about us. I care about the church. I care about the people of God, the body of Christ. And the premise of why we're talking about this subject today is simply this, that I believe that today's political climate is the greatest threat to the unity of Christians and the mission of Christ. Okay, two things. Today's political climate is the greatest threat to the unity of Christians and to the mission of Christ. It's not that all of a sudden I care about politics. Believe me, give me a good Dilbert comic, much happier than read anything about politics. But what I do care about is I care about us. And what I see is that there's something out there that's a threat to us. And when I say us, I mean both us in the local sense, STSA church, but I mean us in a more global sense as the, the church of God, okay? The unity of the Christians and also the mission that Christ has given to us, that today's political climate is a threat to that. Now, before we get into the meat of today's message, okay, there's some ground rules that we got to start off with, okay? Agree with me on these certain ground rules. You will be tempted. You will be tempted to hear today's message through the lens of your own politics, okay? You will be tempted, okay? If you're on the left, you'll be tempted to start hearing stuff and say, ah, see, I knew Father Anthony's supporting those guys over there and why Father Anthony's taking this position and why Father Anthony? If you're on the right, you can do the same thing and say, well, Father Anthony shouldn't be saying this stuff and Father Anthony's getting in, in, in the way of this and that and how dare he? Please don't do that. Okay, I beg you. I may offend some of you by the end of this, but at least give me a chance to speak before you've declared yourself offended. Okay, like that's the problem in the world today, if we're honest, is that we go into conversations ready to fight. We go in thinking we know what the other person's gonna say, and we are offended by before even they've opened their mouth, we're ready to fight. That's all the problem in the world today, and let's be better than that. Okay, give me a chance to speak before you declare yourself offended by anything that I have to say. The second ground rule is, is, is something that I'm sure you know, okay? I'm sure you know, and I'm sure this doesn't even need to be said, okay? But just for my sake, just humor me here. Like, you're smart people out there, okay? You're highly successful. Y'all think critically. Y'all get this stuff. But just for my sake, humor me right here. The second ground rule is this. Neither party is Jesus's party. Like, you know that, right? You know that, that, that Jesus wasn't a Democrat or a Republican. You know that. What we usually do, what we usually do is we declare Jesus to be on whatever side of the political spectrum that we are. So, for example, if you're a Republican, you would say, of course Jesus is Republican. Like, are you kidding me? Like, Jesus was so, like, fiscally conservative. That was Jesus. Don't you remember the parable of the talents, okay? And the one who wasted the talent, okay? That so clearly Jesus is fiscally conservative. He likes accountability, no handouts. 
uh, let me ask you a question, Father Anthony. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he sat at the which side of the Father? At the right hand of the Father. So isn't it clear? When Jesus had the sheep and the goats, okay? It says that he put the sheep, those are the bad guys, on his left. And, and I'm sorry, the goats, the bad guys on his left and the sheep on the right. So clearly, Jesus is on the right. Like this is no brainer. Now, if you're a Democrat, you would say, are you kidding me? Of course, Jesus was a Democrat. Jesus was a healthcare machine. Jesus was all about welfare. Jesus was all about helping the poor. How could you miss this if you read in, in the scripture? And then if you are neither Republican nor Democrat, you're libertarian, okay? You would say, of course, Jesus was neither. Jesus was never with the established parties. Okay, Jesus was always rebellious. Jesus was always doing his own thing. He was an independent guy, a free thinker. So, of course, Jesus came to, to set us at liberty. So, of course, Jesus was not Republican or Democrat. You know that truthfully, Jesus is not either party. And let me take a step further. That neither candidate, whether in this year's election or any election, neither candidate, especially I think we can agree this year, neither candidate is the second coming of Christ on this earth, okay? And maybe the second coming of something else or the coming, but neither one, okay, neither candidate is pure in his motives. Neither candidate is the lover of, of, of mankind. Neither candidate, okay, is purely selfless and sacrificial and is, is the embodiment of Christ on this earth. You know that. Each candidate and each political party has an agenda. You know that. Like, you're smart. You know that. And each one of them is willing to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to get you and me to think a certain way and to act a certain way. You know that, right? Back in 2016, let's go through some numbers here. In 2016, the last presidential election. The winner of that presidential election in 2016 spent $398 million on their campaign. It's almost $400 million. $398 million were spent on that campaign. What do you think those, those dollars were spent to do? Those dollars were not spent to help people, were not spent to build hospitals. Those dollars were spent to get you and me to think a certain way and then to behave a certain way. And for those of you who say $398 million, that's a crazy amount that someone would spend. Well, in the last election, that's what the winner spent. The loser in that election spent almost double that amount. The losing candidate spent $768 million. So between those two candidates, more than $1 billion was spent. And again, you're smart. You realize that that money is not just going into thin air. That money is to try to manipulate and control and change the way we think and the way we view certain things. More than $1 billion spent between those two candidates. If you had all the candidates okay, who ran for president, $2.4 billion was spent. If you add in all the elections, like including the, including the, the Congress, $6.5 billion was spent in 2016 on elections. $6.5 billion. Let me ask you a question. How much good could we do with $6.5 billion? How many homeless could we give homes to? How many hungry could we feed? How many hospitals could we build? How many teachers, teachers, I know we got a lot of teachers out there. How many teachers could we give much deserved raises to? Okay, and I know all the parents out there who got their kids stuck at home are saying, yes, give the teachers a raise, whatever it, whatever it costs, whatever they want, just give it to them, take our kids out of here. Yes, how much good could we have done? But instead, we spent $6.5 billion and the goal of it was one thing, to get you to think a certain way. The goal these days is clear, to create one emotion 
inside all of us, and that is fear. You know why? Because fear is the easiest way to manipulate someone. The easiest way to get someone to do what you want them to do, to behave how you want them to behave, is to create fear. And that's what I'm saying. When we were kids, it was vote for me and I'll do this. Nowadays, it's vote for me or else the other guy is going to do this. And they're going to take away this or they're going to force this or they're going to ruin this. That's what it is today is creating fear. I've always believed, okay, that the easiest sermon, the easiest sermon that I could give in church, the easiest sermon that any preacher can give is I come to church, I say, hell is coming and there's going to be fire and brimstone and there's going to be judgment and you better watch out and you better do what I say. That's the easiest sermon to preach, requires no preparation. Give me any passage in the scripture and I can preach a sermon of fear. That's the easiest thing to do to get people to act how you want them. And if we're honest... That's what politics has become. Politics nowadays is not about issues. It's about personalities. And it's about be afraid of what happens if that person or be afraid of what happens to that person or that party or that justice or that whatever it may be. Everyone is peddling in fear and we become less civilized. We become WWE, okay? We become professional wrestling, which is there's good guys and there's bad guys. And the whole thing is all about we got to win and we can't let the other guy and this is what's going to happen. And if we're not careful, church family, listen carefully. If we're not careful, we will fall victim to exactly this. But I believe that you are better. I believe that you are smarter. I believe that you on the other side of this camera are not dumb sheep. You do not just follow blindly. I believe that you can think critically and you aren't going to believe everything you hear and you are just going to be led astray with whatever the most recent post or this person's tweet or whatever it may be i believe you can think critically i hear things okay for example like i hear things like the media is ruining our country okay the media is ruining our country and that's an easy thing that people can say in the media and the media and the media well again you can think critically what's the media the media has an objective and their objective is not to help you sleep easy at night. Okay, that's not why people. That's not the purpose of the media. The purpose of the media. Okay, the purpose of the the, the, the posts. The purpose of the, the of the of the the, the the things on social media and things like that. The purpose is to get you to act a certain way. To get you to click a link. To get you to read a post. To get you to watch a, a clip. That's their purpose, and they will do whatever it takes to get you to do that. Politicians are the same way. The purpose of the, the objective of politicians is to get elected or re-elected, to get votes. And the easiest way to do that is through fear. So listen carefully. I'm not saying, I'm not saying all media is bad. I'm not saying all politicians are bad. There's very good people who work in both those fields. And I'm, I'm not saying it that way. But what I'm saying is we must think critically before we cede control of our lives to the media and we just eat and chew and, 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 and consume whatever they give us or to politicians and we act and we fall prey to whatever fear that they're, they're peddling in. We must think critically. So I'm going to challenge you to do something okay? because I believe that you're smart and I believe that you're better than this. I believe that we're better than this. I'm going to challenge you to do something and I know as soon as I say it, everyone here is going to say, I already do that okay? because I get it. Like Everyone's going to think, I do this. Okay, This is easy for me, Father Anthony. Check. Okay, But I just want you to really think to think about this and ask yourself some hard questions because maybe if we're honest with ourselves, maybe it's not the case. The world today pushes us in the direction of, this is my politics, this is what I believe, 
this is how I vote, this is my party, this is who I agree with, and anyone who disagrees with me is the devil. That's how the world pushes us. So if you're on the right, anyone who's on the left is the devil. And there's, and there's really no in-between these days. So you declare this is, what, this is who you are and you just, whatever's on this side, you agree with. Even if there's things you don't understand, if it's on this side, I agree with. And once you sense someone else has a different opinion on any of these subjects, you automatically say, they're in that bad category, they're wrong, I hate them, they're the devil. But the name of this series is, What Does Love Require? And if we are going to ask ourselves that question, what does love require of us? I believe it requires more. And this is what I would say that we need to learn how to disagree politically and love unconditionally. How to disagree politically and love unconditionally. One of the great things about our church, STSA Church, one of the things I love about it is we are very diverse. We got people from all over, all over geographically. People come from all over the country, all over the world. Okay, a lot of people move into this area for different reasons. All over the place ethnically, right and culturally and also politically and we got people in our church okay thank god this is online here wouldn't be in person because i'm sure we can answer we got people on the far left we got people on the far right and we got people everywhere in between and i'll be honest i'll be honest some of you may disagree i think that's a good thing i think that diversity makes us all better I think, as we spoke about last week, we talked about unity without, without uniformity. I think that's actually a great picture of what the church should be, is diversity in unity, okay, or unity in diversity. And I think if you are a part of a church that is not diverse, whether politically or racially or ethnically or generationally, I think this is something that you should consider. I don't think you should settle for it. I don't think that being in a place where everyone is exactly like you is good for you or good for anybody. And in fact, I go back to the, the early church. Okay, I look at the disciples. We talked about them last week. They were from all over the place. Socially, okay, economically, educationally, and politically. Okay, there were some who were coming who were supporters of the government, some who were strong rebels and were against the government. And they found unity in Christ. So I think that diversity is a good thing and we shouldn't sell for anything less. But because we have that diversity... We have a challenge in front of us, but we also have a great opportunity. Because we are so diverse, the world around us, filled with all kinds of different people who all see the same thing today, that our world is not in a good place. And everyone out there sees that we should do something, that we have to do something, that we need to do something about this world that is in so much pain. And the easy thing to do is to criticize the other side, to badmouth the other side, to hate the other side. That's the easy thing to do. But if we're asking ourselves, what does love require? Love takes a lot more than that. So the challenge here is can we disagree politically and love unconditionally? And like I said a minute ago, you're going to say to yourself, Father Anthony, I do that. I do that. You don't know about the tree-hugging liberals that I got to put up with in my family or in my office or in my neighborhood. And I put up with them and I don't curse them and I leave them alone, but it's so difficult. Or you may say, I work with these cold-blooded conservatives, okay? That you, you, you want to, the, 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 the blood drive comes and says there's nothing inside them because they're so cold-hearted and cold-blooded. You don't realize what I put up with from these guys. Of course I'm loving them. Or you may say these independents. Oh, these independents. Can't they just make up their mind? Just make up your mind what do you want just choose a side 
on the surface. We all think we're doing this. But listen carefully to what I'm saying. I'm not saying to just tolerate one another. I'm not saying to put up with one another. I'm not just saying to not curse one another. Jesus didn't call us to just do those things. He called us to love. And if I had to come up with a way to make that practical, here's the challenge for us, STSA family, anyone who's listening to this message. The challenge for us is this. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than creating a version of your faith to support your politics? Read that one again. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than creating a version of your faith to simply support your politics? Most of us, if we're honest, most of us, if we're honest, we determine our political position, kind of plant our flag on one side of of the line, and then we simply assume that Jesus is obviously on our side because we think of ourselves as good people honest people, loving people. Once we declare a side, of course, that's where Jesus would be as well. And I've told you this before. You can declare any position. You tell me what it is that you want to justify, and I will find you 10 Bible verses to support your position. Okay? So simply finding a Bible verse that 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 that, that supports either side, okay, of the political spectrum, there's more to it than that. My challenge to you is to evaluate is to do the opposite, to evaluate your politics in light of your faith, to evaluate your politics and say, okay, this is my faith, this is what I believe, and therefore now let me evaluate my politics. I'm not saying to change who you're voting for, I'm not saying to change political parties or anything like that, but we have to be able to evaluate our politics and our beliefs and our political parties in light of our faith, even if, listen carefully, even if that causes us to distance ourselves a little bit from our parties from our candidates, even if that causes us to disagree with them. Like, we're afraid today to disagree. It's either everything this person says is right or everything that they say is wrong. So therefore, we end up adopting certain things that we don't agree with in terms of our faith. Or what I should say is we end up modifying our faith to make it fit our politics. And what I'm saying is, if you're going to ask, what does love require? What does love require is something better than blind allegiance to a political party or a candidate or any ideology. I love what C.S. Lewis said in a book that he wrote called The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis, who once fought in, in World War I, okay, said the following. He said, a man may have to die for his country, but no man must in an exclusive sense live for his country. It's big words. He who surrenders himself without reservation to the temporal claims of a nation or a party or a class is rendering to Caesar that which of all things most emphatically belongs to God himself. That's a beautiful quote saying we may die for our country, but we live for something much greater than our country. And anyone, anyone who surrenders himself blindly to an ideology or a party or a candidate, he's saying blind allegiance. That's idolatry. Okay, our allegiance is to God first and foremost, not to a party, not to a candidate. Not to an ideology or the opposite. Because some of us, it's not blind allegiance to a political party. It's blind allegiance against a political party or against a political candidate or against an ideology. We got to do better. We got to do better. You're smarter than this. You're better than this. We are better than this. And we, church, have to do better. Now, the good thing for us is that Jesus 
saw this one coming. And Jesus spoke directly into this. I'm not saying that he saw this particular election, okay, and what's happening. Uh, of course, he did see it, but I'm saying in a general sense, he spoke into the division that would come into the world, and he spoke directly and bluntly and clearly into how we are supposed to address it. On the final night of his life, before his crucifixion on Good Friday, the final night, Jesus, after he washed his disciples' feet and he gave them the Last Supper, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed and he sweat blood. This was a serious prayer, okay, that Jesus had so much that he sweat blood. Well, the question is, when Jesus prayed in that garden the night before his arrest, okay, just hours before he was going to be arrested and the wheels of his crucifixion and death were, were about to get set in motion, how did Jesus pray? What did he pray for? You may be surprised or probably not surprised to see that Jesus didn't pray like me and you would pray. If I told you next day, arrested, trial, okay, death, suffering, all this stuff, we would pray things like, God, take care of me. God, bless me. God, keep me safe. God, make me strong. But that's not how Jesus prayed. We're going to look at some parts of Jesus' prayer in John 17. And I want you to notice two things. Okay, I'll tell you in advance what these two things to notice. Number one is that Jesus prayed not for himself, but he prayed for us. Prayed for me. Prayed for you. Prayed for every one of us. And he had a specific request. And his request was not, again, bless them, help them to, to do well at work, or you know, help those who didn't come this week to come next week. That was not his prayer. He prayed specifically for you. And the second thing I want you to notice is what his prayer request was. He prayed for something specific. And we're going to see that. John chapter 17, verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. Okay, the hour has come. What Jesus is saying here is that, okay, boom, it's game time. This is like everything we've been working for, Father, is for this moment. Ever since the fall of mankind, fall of Adam and Eve, through the prophets, through the law, through everything that's come, through all the miracles, through all the preaching, through all that stuff, boom, it's for this moment. Now is game time. Let's go. Here we go. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, Boom, these guys, they're ready to go. I trained them, I taught them, I taught them who you were, who you are, and who I am, and our relationship. They're ready, I've given them your word, they're ready, they believe, it's go time. Verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that. And we'll pause the story right there. Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm done here. But I pray, Father, for these that you have given me. And he's talking specifically about his disciples. And I pray that you keep them. And then he says that. And I want you to think to yourself, what is the that that's coming after? Keep them means like protect them. Keep them. Protect them. From what? From what? Keep them that they may be safe. So keep them from harm. Keep them that they may be happy. So keep them, like protect them from like, like, like uh, 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 sadness. Protect them from bad things. Protect them from what? What do you think Jesus prayed that we would be protected from? Look what he says next. That they 
may be one as we are. Look here. Jesus is one request. Remember when we were kids, okay, prayer requests? Okay, like well, I went to Catholic school, so we would like pray. And who has a prayer request? You know, you know, my you know, cousin Susie has whatever. You know, my dog is sick or whatever prayer request. Jesus, what's your prayer request? <laughs> what do you want to pray for? He said, I want to pray for these guys. The guys who believe in me. The guys who call me Lord. The guys who follow me around. I want to pray for them. Okay, what do you want to pray for? Pray for their protection? Jesus says, no. Actually, I told them trials are going to come and they're going to get persecuted. So I'm not praying for their protection. Praying for their happiness? Praying for their, 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 their earthly success? What are we praying for? Jesus said, I only pray one thing. That they may be one. I'm praying for their unity. I'm praying that they don't let division come in. I'm praying they don't end up on two sides of a spectrum shooting arrows at one another and fighting with one another. I'm praying that they realize that the war is not a civil war. That they're not against each other. They're all on the same side. That it's us against the kingdom of darkness. And I pray that they may be one. Verse 20, he continues. Now look. He says, I do not pray for these alone. Meaning like he's talking about Peter, James, and John. I'm not just them alone. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. Think about this for one second. Who is he speaking about specifically? He says, I pray for those who will believe in me through their word. Who that is? That's me. It's you. Like you're a Christian today because of what they taught us. Because we believe in their word. Because St. Peter stood up and preached repentance, salvation, no other name except his name. Because St. John wrote about love and that's what it means to be his disciple. Because of their word, I'm a Christian. So what Jesus says here, I'm not just praying for those guys, these 12. I'm praying for the one who's going to come after them, who's going to believe in me because of their word. So now he's praying for you. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? Like we always pray, please God. But did you know that one time Jesus said, please God, and he's praying for us? What is he going to ask for? Verse 21. That they all, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That. Again, we'll pause there before we get to that. That that they all may be one. Okay, let, let, let's, let's take it. This, this verse is, is too big to go through quickly. So let, let's take this in two ways. Let's take this. What did this mean in the first century? What does this mean in the 21st century? First century. That they all may be one. Okay, this makes sense. That they all may be one. That they would know that in Christ, Jew and Gentile, there's no more difference. That they all may be one. That the Jews would accept the Gentiles. The Gentiles would be one with the Jews. They all may be one. That they would stop looking at rich and poor. All may be one. Slave and free. Military or civilian. And all may be one. And we look at that and say, yes, amen. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's exactly Jesus' message in a nutshell. Before Jesus, they thought that God was for a certain group of people. Certain group of people were right. Everyone else was wrong. That's the entire Old Testament. That was their misthinking. That's what they. That, that, that exactly what Jesus came to correct. They thought we were right. Everyone else is wrong. Jesus said, no, God is for all. Doesn't matter if you disagree politically. Doesn't matter if you're ethnically. Doesn't matter. Like Jesus is for all. And we say, yes, exactly. That's the gospel. That's what we believe. Let's take that to the 21st century. That they all may be one. Jesus is not just for Republicans or Democrats. He's for all. And they all may be one in Christ. Not just for rich or poor. Not just for black or white. Not just for liberal or conservative. Not just for orthodox or non-orthodox. Not just for the, 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 the males or the females. The young or the old. Jesus is for all. All those 
who call me Lord, all those who call me Lord, no matter where they're from, no matter what language they speak, no matter how they vote or how they think politically, that's the same gospel. And somehow it's a lot easier for us to apply it to the first century, Jews and Gentiles, than it is for us to apply today to Republicans and Democrats, or, or, or those who speak this language or that language, or those who believe in the old calendar or the new calendar, or those who are coming from this country or from that country. Jesus, I pray that all may be one. I pray that all may be one. And then he tells us why. And you're going to see in this next, the rest of the sentence that Jesus says, I don't want them just all to be one so that they can get along and everyone can be happy and la 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 and kumbaya. He has this very specific purpose that they all may be one. Why, Lord? Rest of this verse. That the world may believe that you sent me. Boom. Jesus is saying, the reason I want them to be one, the reason that they must be one, the reason they cannot allow division to come in is because if they are united, they are unstoppable. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against them. The world won't know what hit them, but only if they are united. And if they are divided, they weaken the entire mission. The entire mission is compromised if the enemy can divide them. Said another way, our unity has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the mission of Christ. Our unity has nothing to do with us. It's not about me and you. It's not about we need to get along or have dinner together. Or, or It's not about we have to agree. It's about something much greater. The mission of Christ. Did you know that there are people out there? You need to know this. There are people out there who are watching you and are watching me. And they are judging Christianity and the church by what they see in us. And there are people out there who grew up in non-Christian homes, who think all Christians are hypocrites. All Christians say one thing on Sunday and do something else on Monday. And those people are watching you and I. And they're watching how we praise God on Sundays. And then they're watching what we post on Mondays on social media. And, and they believe that, you know what, all Christians talk about love, but it really only applies to loving each other. Okay, they don't really love anyone who's different than them. And then they're watching the way that we treat people who disagree with us. Did you know there's people out there who have been hurt by Christians? By hurt by, let's say, you know, uh, um, you know, an old boyfriend or an old girlfriend or a, a boss or a, a parent or a cousin or whatever it may be or a priest. There's people out there and they're watching how you and I behave. And what Jesus is saying is the mission is too great, is too great to risk it for disunity, to ruin it for disunity about what? About politics? About health care? About immigration? about all this stuff, like those things are important, but there's something much more important. And that's the mission in Christ. That's the message of the gospel. Unity is not just about us. It's about the mission. It's about the very thing that Jesus shed his blood for. Look what it says here in Acts chapter 20. St. Paul says this. It says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Jesus shed his blood for the sake of the church. And what St. Paul is saying in this passage is St. Paul's kind of like his farewell passage, his farewell speech. He's saying, look, now the church is in your hands. 
And Jesus died for this church. So you better take this thing seriously. And you better not allow these savage wolves. I'm telling you, savage wolves are going to come in, try to create division from within. And you can't allow that to happen. I'm leaving it in your hands, church. You must protect the unity of the church because the mission of Christ depends on it. And the sad thing for us is that this unity of the church this protect, this oneness for most of us, for a lot of us, it's not even on our radar these days. It's not even on our radar. It's not even like number three or four on the list. We got to win the election. We can't let those guys take office. We can't let those guys come in. We got to get rid of so-and-so. We got we to gotta, we gotta fix it. We, we got to protect our nation. Well, you know what? Jesus also wants to protect our nation. But what he sees as the problem is something much greater than a tax hike or something much greater than, than anything that's being discussed out there in politics. What Jesus sees, okay, all those things have happened before, they will happen again, but what Jesus sees is the division within the body is much greater. If those savage wolves are led in, or let allowed to come in and divide us and lead us away from the true, the true center, which is Christ, and lead us to themselves, that's when we get ourselves in big trouble. So <clears throat> with that said, where do we go from here? Two applications, one big dream. Okay, that's what I want to finish with. Two applications, one big dream. And don't worry, I'm not going to tell you the applications. None of them have to do with who you should vote for, or which political party. I'm not going to say anything like that, but I'm going to give you two applications that if you, what does love require? You're going to take this thing seriously. I'm asking you to take these two applications very seriously. And the first one doesn't, isn't going to require much of your time or effort. The first one is this, to pray for unity. To pray for unity. Pray for unity. If we can't pray for it, then how in the world are we going to achieve it? And that's what I'm saying is the first thing we need to get unity on our radar. Yes, we're praying about the election and we want this or we want that or we don't want this or don't want that. Okay, fine. I'm not saying don't pray about those things, but first and foremost, pray for unity. We need to be united. If we are not united, doesn't matter who wins or loses the election. Everything is lost if the church is not united. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our healing. Okay, one of the rules that we have in the church is that you can complain about me, you can complain about the church, but only if you pray about the church. That's the rule. And I can tell when someone comes to me and it's like, you know, Father Anthony, you know, I want to suggest this or how this, and I can tell when someone is praying about it and someone's not praying about it. The person who's praying, I will accept anything from the person who is praying because that's the rule. Can't criticize what you don't pray about. Same thing when it comes to this nation. You can't criticize this nation. You can't criticize any, any political party or any, or any system unless you pray about it first. Pray for our nation. If we, the people of God, are not praying for our nation, all the talk, all the criticizing, all the posting, all the whatever is of no value. We start with prayer. Number two, this one might be a little bit harder. Look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone that you disagree with politically. Look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone that you disagree with politically. Look here. Again, I'm not telling you how to think. I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm not telling you any of that stuff. Vote how you want to vote. Support who you want to support. But don't you dare, don't you dare for one second, mistreat or disrespect any of God's children for the sake of politics. Don't you dare mistreat or disrespect anyone made in the image of God, regardless of their skin color, ethnicity, political belief. Don't you dare. 
Because everything that Jesus taught us is the exact, op- exact opposite of that. And what Jesus taught us is that all those things, the skin color, the gender, the age, the ideology, all those things are down here. But in Christ, everything is up here. And don't you dare, don't you dare lose what we have in Christ, which the bond is love, for the sake of something that, let's be honest, is temporary. Is temporary. The differences between us are temporary. Let's just go politically, okay? Let's be honest. Be honest with me here. Okay, be honest. Your political beliefs today are probably not what they were 10 years ago. Probably. And they probably aren't going to be the same 10 years from now. Like we evolve. We learn new information. We see the world differently. Why would I risk something which is eternal love for the sake of something that is temper a political opinion or political belief? Okay, again, we all change our political beliefs. And if you say, no, Father Anthony, I will never change my political beliefs. I will always be the same. I will always have this opinion. Then you know what you are, sir? You are the definition of closed-minded by your own admission. If you're saying, I will never change. No information could change me. I will always be in this position. Nothing will ever change that. You, sir, or you, ma'am, are exactly what you hate in this world. You are closed-minded. And that's all the problem in the world that we have today. So what I will challenge you, find a way to love someone unconditionally that you disagree with politically. Find someone, find someone that you think to yourself, I don't know how anyone can think that. I don't know how anyone could support that. By your own admission, okay, when you say, I don't know how anyone could support that or think that, by your own admission, you're saying, there's some information that I don't know. So why not ask? Why not ask? Why not go to someone? And instead of telling them that they're wrong in their belief, why not ask them? Excuse me, why you believe this? Now, of course, we got to be wise right here. Okay, I'm not saying walking into a Trump rally and saying, hey, why do you guys, I'm not saying it like that, or walking into a Biden rally and saying, how come you guys don't know that Trump is, I'm not saying it like that. What I'm saying is, go to someone, maybe someone in your family, okay, someone that that is, is a friend of yours who you disagree with politically, and say, you know what, I'd like to listen. I'd like to learn. Versus assuming that they're just insane people and anyone who believes this must be a lunatic and that's why they believe this. And when you do that, let me give you some advice, okay, because this has to be done wisely. I would encourage you to focus on issues, not personalities, okay? Where we are in the world today, nobody cares about issues. We care about personalities because this has become professional wrestling. It's become WWE style out there politics. We got to be better than that. I'm not here to say this person or this person. I'm here to say issues. Because I am not married to a person. I mean, I'm married to my wife, Marianne, but I'm saying I'm not married to a candidate. Let me say it that way. I'm not married to a party. I have the ability to think critically and think freely and say to myself, how do I feel about this issue? What is the right thing here? How do I think Jesus would look at this subject? And you know what? Sometimes it may line up with my political party. It may not line up. But I'm, I'm strong enough. Okay, I'm secure enough to say, you know what? I'm voting this way and for this candidate, but I don't agree with everything he says. And I think there's certain things they say are wrong. Like, I'm not, it's not a position of weakness to say that. It's actually a position of great strength to say, you know what? I support this, but you know what? I don't support these things, but overall making this decision for this and this reason. Ask, listen versus assume. Focus on issues, not personalities. And call me crazy. Okay, call me crazy. But I believe... I believe that if we are truly followers of Christ, it is our duty to find ways to love and to serve people that we disagree with. It is our duty. It is not an option. It is not like a, okay, if you get around to it. It is our duty to love people that we disagree with and to serve them humbly as Christ did. 
Call me crazy, but I believe that if we can do this, I truly believe the world won't know what hit it. We got a lot of people out there who are very heated about their politics because they want to change the world. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, posting online ain't going to change the world. Cursing the other side isn't going to change the world. Okay, coming up with those creative memes, okay, with the, 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 the things that you say, that's not going to change the world. What's going to change the world is love. You know that. Again, you, you've, been around lo- you've been around long enough, you're smart enough to know that the government and the legislation and the bills, okay, and all those things and the laws, those are great. They will not change the world. The only thing that will change the world is love. You're sitting there saying, okay, Father Anthony, like, like tone it down. Like, okay, we don't live in this utopian world and la, la, la and everything. Well, you know what? I'm not, I'm not talking fairy tales here. I'm not talking happily ever after. I'm talking facts. I'm talking history and I have history on my side. Because 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, Jesus took a group of 12 guys who were very divided, or sorry, very diverse politically, very diverse ethnically, or not ethnically as much as culturally, very diverse in their background. He took a group of people who come from very different backgrounds and he taught them to live as one. He taught them to live as one accord. And those guys, not just the 12, but as they grew, those guys showed that even though they had no technology, even though they had no political influence, even though they had no position whatsoever, they had no stature, But Christianity at the beginning was not only no reputation, it was an illegal sect. That's what Christianity was. But Jesus took these 12 guys from different backgrounds, added people from even more different backgrounds, and he united them in one. And that movement changed the world. And when I say change the world, I don't just mean spiritually. And I don't just mean starting the church. What I mean is the world, the world. When Christianity first started, it was not the state religion. Like I said a minute ago, it was an illegal sect. But did you know that Christianity eventually not went from, went from illegal persecuted to eventually becoming allowable to eventually becoming the official state religion? Christianity, did you know this? Without any weapons, without any legislation, without any political power whatsoever, overthrew a pagan government. Did you know that? And not just a pagan government. This is even more important. It overthrew pagan morality. Christianity was the one who came into a place. You know, before Christianity, no such thing as love, no such thing as acceptance, no such thing as compassion. There was none of that stuff. Before Christianity, it was survival of the fittest. It was the strong survive, the weaker put down. That's why men always at the top, women always at the bottom, because men were strong and women were weak. Therefore, women were treated as slaves. Women had no rights because men were strong. There was no such thing as equality, no such thing as love, no such thing as compassion. Men strong, women weak. There was no such thing as, as children, okay, and the value of children. Children were seen as, as a nuisance, okay? If someone was, was handicapped or disabled, they were thrown away. They had no value because they couldn't produce anything. They were weak. Christianity is the one who changed all of that. Christianity is the one who said, you know what? Women have the same value as men. And anyone who says otherwise has to deal with Christ. Christianity was the one that said children have the same value as adults, even if they can't work and produce. Christianity was the one that said that even someone who's sick, even someone who's disabled, even someone who's handicapped, even someone who can't see, every single person has intrinsic value regardless of where they're coming from. Christianity is the one who changed the world. And it was because 12 guys, and again, the, guys, the ones who joined them as well, were able to find oneness in Christ. Before Christianity, the world was divided. 
was every man for himself. Ethnocentrism was the way of the world. Nobody cared about anyone else's culture except their own. Then came Jesus and his merry band of followers. And what it says about them, okay, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 6, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. It wasn't politics that turned the world upside down. It wasn't a political leader or military leader. It wasn't anyone of influence that turned the world upside down. It was Jesus. And it was his teaching on love and unity. And I believe the same can be true today. It happened once, it can happen again. Jesus is the same Jesus. His message is the same message. Still praying for unity, still teaching about unity. But the only difference is me and you. Is how we respond to that message. Will we be able to love even when we disagree? Will we, be, will we be able to unite even when we're so divided? Will we be able to see past the differences down here and focus on the unity that is in Christ? That in Christ is not male, it's not female, it's not Jew, it's not Gentile, it's not rich, it's not poor, it's not young, it's not old, it's not able-bodied or disabled. It's not left, it's not right, it's not liberal, it's not conservative. All are one in Christ. And if that's the case, I'll leave you with this command that Jesus gave to us. John 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus didn't give a suggestion. He didn't say, a new suggestion I give you. Or, hey, a new idea I give you. He said, a new commandment. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, meaning when he says a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, meaning like that's the whole deal. Like that's not a side thing. That's the whole deal. It's right there in love. All this Christianity, all this church, all this body of Christ, it all comes down to that thing about love. That's the whole deal right there. And the only way this thing is going to spread, the only thing, the way the mission is going to continue, I handed you something good and it's your job to continue to hand it. The only way is by love. Because by this, by this love, Despite the d diversity, by this love, all will know that you are my disciples. <sighs> now it's our turn. Love one another as I have loved you is what Jesus said. Jesus says, I, I loved you even when you disagreed with me. Even when you were, let's go to our political terms today, even when you were wrong, you were on the wrong side. Like Jesus was on one side, you were on the wrong side. You were on the wrong side of sin, you were on the wrong side. You were on the wrong side. Jesus says, I loved you. I didn't treat you as a criminal in need of punishment. I treated you as a sick person in need of healing. I loved you. I accepted you as you are. And now I'm challenging you to do the same. And if we do that, I believe with all my heart that if we stop viewing our, our, our if we can learn to view our politics through our faith, instead of creating a version of our faith to meet our politics, if we can learn to love unconditionally, even though we may disagree politically, if we can learn to do those things, the world won't know what hit it. And truly, we will see everything that Christ came to give us in front of us when we do that. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you showed us even when we didn't deserve it, even when we disagreed, and even when we were on the wrong side. Lord, we pray for our nation and our world and our church that we truly would be one as you 
prayed that we would be and you commanded us to be. Help us to, to, to really see a difference, Lord, and, and put aside the things that are inside of us that cause us to hate or to badmouth or to criticize or to judge and let the world see the example that we set. We pray, Lord, that our world would, would, would see that example and, and would make a difference in this world because it's so desperately in need of it. We pray these things in the name of your Son, the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. I'm going to leave some questions up here on the screen, and I would love it if you get a chance to discuss them with whoever it is that you're spending the rest of this afternoon with. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next week for the conclusion of the series, What Does Love Require?